Welcome to another episode of The Intellectuals. I want to thank Todd Wood of CD Media for providing the platform for these sessions. I also want to give a big thanks to our producer and retired Navy Captain Brent Ramsey for putting this program together. My name is Ron Scott, and I am honored to be the host for this session. Our guests today have an important story to tell. Rob Green is a Naval Academy graduate. He served as a surface warfare officer in multiple deployments before transitioning to the Naval Reserve and taking a GS-13 position with the Navy's acquisition workforce. He spent five years in that position before reaffiliating back to the permanent active duty position in 2019. He was the executive officer of Maritime Expeditionary Security Squadron 8, located in Newport, Rhode Island, before being relieved for refusing emergency use authorized products. He's a congressional whistleblower and the individual who provided the key evidence to federal court in the North District of Texas that helped win Navy class-wide injunction. Our other guest is John Bose. John is a 2019 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, a distinguished graduate, and was recently, you know, recently, we're talking September of this last year, was removed from the F-16 training program after filing a religious accommodation for the COVID vaccine. He has since become intimately familiar with the consequences of this mandate and recruiting, retention, are all major issues in the Department of Defense right now. Maybe not directly related to the vaccine mandate, but certainly uh, coupled to it. So Rob and John, welcome to the intellectuals. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This, this is an important opportunity to tell your story and to demonstrate the seriousness of the implications regarding America's changing culture, not just in the military. So if, if you would just take a few minutes each and tell our audience what you've been through uh, these last few months, this last year. Uh, first, you, Rob. Thank you. Um, so my story begins uh, with the vaccine mandate uh, is where I began to realize that our leadership has stopped adhering to law and military regulation. Uh, they're trying to force emergency use authorized products on service members in violation of constitutional law uh, and the regulation uh, and, and, of course, uh, federal law, which requires that we have the freedom to choose whether to accept or refuse those products. So that was where my story began and where I began to file you know, complaints and, and requests up my chain of command to understand where we're going, um, to try to inform them of how Navy policies were violating the law and the Constitution. Um, ultimately, a whistleblower from within uh, the Navy Personnel Command staff released their standard operating procedure for uh, how they were adjudicating religious accommodations, ensuring denials for every single one of those. Uh, I made sure that that got to the HASC and the SASC, um, as well as to federal court uh, in the Navy SEALs case in Texas. That ultimately won the Navy class-wide injunction, as you mentioned in the intro. Um, I was relieved four days after that uh, for refusing mercy use authorized testing. 
and uh, and since then uh, the fight has been on uh, trying to uh, gather service members, let them know their rights, and coordinate with uh, with great folks like John Bose here, who's done some great work as well. So now, are you pending discharge? I actually uh, have an interesting uh, twist to my story. Uh, they turned around and offered me a, a position at the Joint Forces Staff College as a professor there, um, and then turned around and offered me uh, a position as the reserve program, the deputy, deputy reserve program director at Fleet Forces Command, which I accepted. Uh, so I would be uh, PCSing back uh, to Norfolk for that position. Um, it's a bit odd. Um, and one of my initial complaints was to, at the time, Admiral Grady, who's now the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, and he was at, at the time the, the fleet, or he's now the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. At the time, he was uh, Fleet Forces commander. Uh, Dana is an Air Force Academy graduate, and she graduated and went on to active duty. She graduated in 2006 and served as an acquisitions officer in the Air Force. Uh, she was a program manager in the modernization and sustainment of Air Force assets and weapon systems, working with a lot of uh, uh, Air Force folks that love the A-10 Warthog system. You know, while an athlete at the academy, Dana was a two-time NCAA Division I national champion in the javelin throw. Uh, in April 2015, Dana was inducted in the Air Force Academy's Athletic Hall of Fame. On December 27, 2013, her deployment was terminated when her husband Dave's convoy was attacked and Dave was killed in action by a suicide vehicle-borne improvised explosive device. Dana escorted her beloved home on his Freedom Flight, one of only two spouses who have done so since operating, Operation Enduring Freedom commenced in 2001. Shortly after Dave was killed, Dana returned to her alma mater, the Air Force Academy, to serve as an assistant track and field coach. Welcome to the program, Dana. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, sir. So we're going to have John Bose now uh, kind of let the audience know what he's been through, and then Dana will hand it off to you. Okay, well, yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dr. Scott. And I'd like to start off by just saying simply that, uh, of course, the thoughts and opinions I'm expressing here, and I think I can speak for Commander Green as well, are, are purely our own, and we don't represent the Department of Defense, the Air Force, or the United States Navy. Uh, but yes, it's correct in my introduction. I, I was removed from flying training uh, in September of 2021 as a direct consequence of filing for religious accommodation for the COVID-19 vaccine. And so I think that that's a, it's a great example of coercion that so many service members have faced. But, you know, I've, I spent my entire life dreaming and striving to become a fighter pilot. And so to lose that dream and have it taken from my hands right when I'm starting to live it, uh, it is really it's tragic and it's unfortunate, especially given uh, what we know about this vaccine now and what we even knew then. And since then, my religious accommodation has been denied. I've been giving a letter, letter of reprimand, which for those that don't know, uh, is a essentially a permanent a scar on your military record in the form of uh, disciplinary action. And I've been told I'll be discharged uh, from the military over this vaccine. Okay. Thanks, John. And Dana, your story. Yeah, that's crazy. Thanks for sharing, John. So my story uh, essentially started on January 13th uh, of this year. I was called into my supervisor's office um, and it was long as well uh, with my head coach and the HR director. I was essentially told, hey, my, your, your contract ends on 30, 
June or it's up for renewal, I should say. Uh, and typically you get renewed so long as you're doing your job and you meet terms of federal employment. And they basically said at this point, you don't meet terms of federal employment uh, with regards to the mandate that came down in September from the president. Um, and so essentially, if you don't get the shot, then uh, you'll be terminated 30 June. They won't be able to renew me. Um, and so since then, uh, obviously, we know about the injunction to the Fifth Circuit Court basically said that you cannot terminate federal employees based on their vaccination status. Um, and, and long, long story short, with uh, some details uh, that I'll leave out for now, on 31 May, uh, just a couple of months or a month and a half ago, I was told that um, my contract would be non-renewed. Um, originally, uh, they said non-renewed, non-disciplinary, not personal, no cause, the program's going in a different direction. Um, and and originally that was that was the first thing that they said. Well, they had terminated me two months prior to uh, me being eligible uh, to uh, apply for once I hit retirement age, uh, 20 years worth of retirement benefits. And so, you know, as a gold star widow who, uh, you know, my husband gave his life for our country, the academy asked me to come back and teach and coach in the athletic department um, to get terminated um, two months prior to being eligible for those benefits. Um, and all I had left to show for that was my husband's death certificate. It really didn't sit well with me. And so I uh, reached out to a lot of folks, uh, namely through STARS. Um, STARS is standing together against radicalism and racism in the services. So it's STARS.us. And I got introduced to um, folks like you, sir, Dr. Uh, Scott, General Bishop, um, Mike Rose, a lot of academy grads and folks that um, are really just standing for and with uh, fighting for those of us um, that really believe in, in the freedoms that not only we took an, orth, an oath to support and defend, um, but that my husband gave his life for. And so um, essentially I, I requested an extension for two months. I did get granted the extension. However, when they granted me the extension, uh, now the academy came back and said, but to be clear, Dana, uh, your termination, or excuse me, your non-renewal is how they call it, even though they gave me a termination letter. They said your non-renewal um, is based on your job performance, not based on um, your vaccine status which the only thing I had ever heard about my term of employment was about my vaccine status. I put in for a religious exemption request, never heard a word back from it. Um, and uh, really they're the ones that I think want to clear the air or clear themselves and say that it was not based on the vaccine status, but that's the only uh, thing I had heard about because um, our team went on to win conference uh, championships in cross country, indoor, outdoor. My kids set school records, individual, individual conference titles. Um, and my final appraisal, actually, that they closed out just three weeks ago says, uh, still says fully successful. <laughs> so I feel like if you're going to get terminated, uh, maybe your appraisal should have uh, a few more negative marks. And for one, as a, as a government civilian, I, I, had no, uh, I had no notice that I wasn't performing to their standards. Um, I had no performance improvement plan. Um, so I think the issue for me is um, the integrity of the situation with the two different documents. But really... Um, I think we all know what this really is about, is purging uh, the military and our government uh, for those of us that want to stand for our, our religious freedoms and our rights. Um, I think the idea is to get all us radical Christians uh, removed from that. And that's that's my opinion uh, for what it's worth, but that's certainly what it feels and looks like right now. Well, I'll tell you, um, can you read that? I can. And yeah, Air Force, or excuse me, United States Air Force core values. Integrity first, service for self, excellence in all you do. You know, it's crazy. And I think a reason why I couldn't be quiet about this is I had one of my cadets um, actually said, when I, you know, when we, we've talked about this a lot, I think it's really important to be transparent and allow these, uh, allow these cadets and these athletes 
um, that independent thinking, the critical thinking. Um, he said, you know, coach, he goes, don't, don't you know that the honor code exists for the cadets, but not for the permanent party? And that just blew me away. <laughs> very, very difficult for me to accept and saw the fact that I've been terminated uh, based on one thing that they told me I'd be terminated for back in January. Um, and not only did they, you know, legally, obviously they can't say that I was terminated for my vaccination status, but now you give two specific documents that are different. One says no cause, uh, non-disciplinary, not, not personal. And the next one says now it's based on performance. So you guys be the judge, right? Audience, go ahead and, and you deduce what's going on. <laughs> well, as I listen to your stories, and I was there when this happened, I was ran the Air Force Operations Center at the Pentagon when General Fogelman was the chief of staff. And we shot down a Black Hawk helicopter and killed two dozen people in Turkey. And that Black Hawk helicopter was shot down by F-15s out of Europe with the squadron commander on the wing. And I was there in the operations center when that issue was brought up and General Fogelman asked to see the performance report that squadron commander. And they waited until it was brought in and he reads it and he says, there's no mention of the Black Hawk shoot down. Did he get a decoration? He received a meritorious service medal. General Fogelman said, redo that performance report. I want it to be a referral report and I want that uh, decoration disapproved. And that's what really started to lead to this sort of thing. General Fogelman yeah. said, we've got a culture problem in the air force and it's a it's a integrity problem uh and it's a sense of duty you know we're here to serve our nation and we don't just get along to get along we we pursue excellence and so the three core values came to be because of general ron fogelman yeah. and if you remember he asked for early retirement out of that position because he saw things happening in the department of defense and beyond that that were contrary to his set of principles. And he asked for early retirement and he got it. But there was another chief of staff that asked for early retirement, Curtis LeMay. And he's the one on the back of this book that's quoted from his book, his memoir. I learned about this from H.R. McMaster, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, who wrote a book called Dereliction of Duty. And it was his PhD dissertation. And I was amazed that an active duty army lieutenant colonel published the book that he did because he was extremely critical of political leadership. We're told to be apolitical in the military. Well, he went on to get three stars. And as you know, he became the national security advisor under the previous administration. Uh, in that book, LeMay disagreed with what we were doing in Vietnam and wanted to resign because he couldn't go along with it in good conscience. McNamara refused to let him retire early because once he retired, he could be more public about his concerns. And so you think about that, that's what we're dealing with here. And we've got courageous young people like you, John and Rob and Dana, that see things that are not right. And you have the intestinal fortitude and courage to do something about it. So with that, John, uh, I'm going to start with you. Two days ago, I sent to a, two retired three-star friends your Epic Times TV interview titled Exclusive Vaccine Mandate Will Force Over 700 Pilots, 40,000 National Guard Troops to Be Discharged. 
I received only one response. And the general said the title was emotional. I'm not clear what is emotional about the numbers in the title. To me, what is emotional about the title is its implications of deception, disloyalty, and injustice that threaten the readiness of our armed forces. Your thoughts? Well, Dr. Scott, you know, uh, I think in this modern era, just about anything can be emotional, whether it's factual or not. Um, and so I think it's very unfortunate that that's kind of what the mentality is of so many, uh, both active duty and retired military members, and especially general officers, is that this, this number is emotional, it's not valid, it's not real. Um, I think that does an injustice to exactly what we as officers especially are all called to do, and that is to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so when we have this threat, this domestic threat that's not necessarily intentional, but it is a threat, which is our threat to national security because of our manning crisis, uh, that's something that we need to address seriously and that we need to look into. Whether it's a false alarm or not, I think it really deserves to be looked into. And newsflash, it's not a false alarm. Uh, it's a very real situation. Uh, I've been running numbers on the DOD's total force, uh, pretty much going back all the way to 2002. And when you look at these numbers in terms of our total force composition in the last 10 years, we have lost a ridiculous number of service members and we're losing them at an accelerating rate right now. Since August, when the mandates came down, we've lost 59,000 service members, which is the most we've had in a very long time. And in the month of April, we lost 10,000 in a single month, which is the highest number in more than 10 years of lost service members in a single month. We are hemorrhaging people. We cannot afford to lose a single service member, especially when times in times like these, when we're escalations in Ukraine and tensions with Iran and China uh, increase every single day. And to look at a number like 700 pilots, which is an astounding number of pilots, and go, that's an emotional stat. Um, I don't think it really matters. We have plenty of pilots. Uh, I think that just shows a misunderstanding of the situation. And that's really why I'm here is, is not to criticize uh, military leadership or Congress, but to simply say, ask the question, which is why aren't we looking into this a lot further? Why aren't these numbers more public? And why aren't we doing anything about it? You know, you mentioned the number 59,000, which I think is ironic. That's about the total number of service members killed in Vietnam over a 25 year period. So numbers do matter. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on, on that? Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Scott. Um, and I'll echo, uh, we got a, a big problem in the Navy as well uh, with our senior leadership. Um, you mentioned the Meritorious Service Medal. Uh, we just awarded a Legion of Merit to the commander uh, at the base in Hawaii that told all the people under him that it was okay to drink the water out there. Um, and that devastated you know, multiple families, uh, destroyed the lives of so many people. Um, and you know, he's getting to uh, to retire uh, and was awarded a Legion of Merit with that. So we have a, a huge problem uh, with leadership and, uh, and it's destroying retention. I'll share a story. My own brother uh, is a chief on a boat uh, out, of, uh, out of Norfolk on a submarine. And one of his junior sailors wife just passed away. Uh, he buried his wife two days ago and the command is trying to make him get underway in three days from now because the manning is so bad on our ships. Um, 
we can't keep doing this to service members. So it's not just the vaccine, the, the unlawful and illegal things that are going on. It is an entire culture that is riding the wave, uh, you know, trying to squeeze every last drop out of service members. So they are running to greener pastures. Thanks. And I'll add on to uh, Commander Green's comment on that, too. And I want to make it clear that uh, these 59,000 that have been lost are not vaccine refusers. Uh, that's just a simple fact is that we've only lost a few thousand to the vaccine so far as this bureaucratic process proceeds forward uh, at, at, at an alarming pace, but nonetheless, it hasn't completed itself. So these are people that are already leaving. And now we stand to lose the 40,000 in the National Guard, the 700 pilots, it's probably a lot more pilots, the close to 100,000 other service members who are active duty, who are not Part or are part of these mandates, or at least standing up to these mandates, and so uh, these numbers are only going to grow more. In fact, they're probably going to grow exponentially. And as more people get disenfranchised with where the military is going right now, I expect those numbers to increase even more. So, uh, this is not just about the vaccine mandates, which is why I think so many people should be concerned. Is that yes, it's true, it would be a massive detriment to our national security to lose all of us alone. And on top of that, we already have a retention crisis. So it's really just it, it's concerning. It's extremely concerning, and it's. It's terrifying to me that no one's talking about this. No. Thank you. Uh, Dana, your thoughts? Well, I think I, I echo everything that Rob and, and John are saying, um, is that it, they're not necessarily and only uh, leaving because of the vaccine mandates, um, but uh, just the in the, the lack of, um, of maybe belief. And like, for instance, I can speak from the academy. Um, I lost four females recruiting in the recruiting process the week of the Afghanistan withdrawal debacle. Not because they knew my story, but they just did not trust in what was going on uh, with the future of the military. Um, I lost two other recruits specifically uh, who didn't want to get the shot. Um, and they essentially said, uh, you know, if, if, if I have to do this, this is not something that, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice. I said, they said, coach, um, this isn't the military that my, my parents retired from, right? If they're going to require the vaccine, what else are they required from? And so I have no problems serving my country and giving my life for my country, but not for a narrative, not for an agenda, not for something that we don't necessarily believe in as far as like the science goes, but then also as it relates to um, just the agenda and the pervasive push that they're, they're pushing uh, for, for uh, compliance, essentially. So yeah, there's a, there's a significant uh, question. I think this is the smallest class uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I hope I'm not, but I, I've heard that this is the smallest incoming class to the United States Air Force Academy since before 9-11. Uh, mm -hmm. Numbers and applicants are, are significantly down. Mm -hmm. And that's a massive concern for our readiness and our national security. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, <laughs> the, the problem that we're dealing with is bigger and deeper than most people understand or willing to acknowledge. But loosely coupled to the experimental vaccination mandate, which we're, we've been talking about, and just for full disclosure, I'm fully vaccinated, reluctantly, but uh, because I'm in that age group where uh, you're a little bit more vulnerable, I, I took the risk of taking the vaccination. So I'm not an anti-vaxxer. But loosely coupled to the experimental vaccination mandate is the promotion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. While senior leaders acknowledge retention and recruiting problems, they seem oblivious to policies and their accompanying rationale that are the root of the problem. And we've been touching upon this already. You, you have been immersed in this culture, in this environment. 
Yeah, how is it affecting morale and cohesion and retention more broadly? I mean, we're hearing your story, but how deep is it? Go ahead, John. Well, in terms of, of morale and just and just speaking of uh, really just the general feelings of the force in regards to everything and, and diversity, equity, inclusion, just a big picture view. I think people are really feeling uh, disenfranchised by the military right now and where it's going, because I think uh, it's become really politicized. Um, and I'm not going to speak to any of the, the social issues or anything else like that, simply to say, other than the fact that we are war fighters and we're here to do a job that's extremely serious and to muddy the waters with, with the current social issues of the time, I don't think does justice to the professional level that we're expected to operate at because it just simply, simply put, it's just not really related to what we're doing as professionals. It's simply and to be, make it even simpler. If you're qualified to do the job, you're qualified to do the job. And that's really all that where it should stop uh, and, and be left alone at that. And so uh, when you look at just that perspective and, and add on the vaccine mandates, I think people more and more are starting to realize that why, why are we doing this? in general, but especially for the vaccine, is that so many service members that I speak to uh, who are vaccinated, especially those of my squadron, fellow fighter pilots, they all say the same thing is that this vaccine, I, get, I still got COVID from the vaccine. I still spread COVID from the vaccine. We still have to quarantine. Uh, people are still having to wear masks now. In fact, they're bringing back masks in full force uh, as of this week across the DOD. And so people are realizing what, if, it's about, if it's not about health and safety, then what is, what is it about? Uh, and I'll leave that question open-ended, but I think many people can probably answer that question. Uh, so I think people are seeing the politicization, politicization uh, of our, our services more and more so, and it's been amplified by this mandate. Uh, and so I, I think that's probably a contributing factor in why so many people uh, are leaving in droves for things like the airlines for pilots uh, or just for greener pastures if they're just service members uh, who don't fly or who operate or who uh, serve on sea vessels. And, and Rob, your thoughts? I mean, there's a lot of people that are probably silent and afraid to speak out. You know, what, what's your sense? I mean. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Scott. Um, as an XO, uh, when we had to stand down to do extremism training, I was forced to, uh, in part, plan that and then give sections of that training. And I'll tell you, um, every single one of the vignettes was about one type and group of people. So even the training itself was not inclusive um, because it only talked about, you know, white nationalist extremist groups. Um, and so I had to make the point, go off the script that we were given and make the point, well, if you have someone who is abusing women in your unit or someone who's harassing someone else for some other thing, you still have to report that. Um, and so I'll dovetail into a story I did a, a radio show on about uh, Captain Seth Ritter at Fort Benning. He made a report of two junior female officers and one OCS candidate um, about the, the major general of that base, Donahoe, um, who was having an inappropriate you know, Twitter back and forth with these people. He made a report of that. They tried to get him committed to a psych ward. And what, what did they do? They brought in not, not a, a psychiatrist who they're required to in order to evaluate him, they brought in a social worker who asked him a bunch of questions about things like his opinion on the election and January 6th and stuff like that. So we finally got him released. Um, you know, it, it took, you know, it took his lawyer, it took his private doctor 
um, who uh, he has no issues, no problems, except that he is standing up to the leadership that's out there right now. Um, and he was ultimately released and cleared of everything. Um, but that is what we're seeing, that kind of betrayal of service members and under the guise of, you know, extremism or trying to spin it that way against people that they do not like. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and I'll tell you, we, we, we hear about this in conversations like this. I mean, it's, it, it's not getting into the national news or, or whatever. Um, Dana, you've, you've been with cadets, uh, you know, without betraying confidences or whatever. You know, what's, what's the general sense among the cadets? Um, I can speak, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say directly about, you know, some of my specific athletes, but I had three or four um, that, that waited to the very last day before they were going to be um, receiving paperwork, uh, kind of like you, John, uh, that threatened them from um, being able to continue as cadets. Um, I know that there's uh, at least 12, I believe it is, um, still cadets that are still, um, you know, trying to fight um, for their, their medical and religious freedoms. Um, and predominantly um, the, uh, the religious exemptions are the first ones that are niched. Um, the next ones are, uh, are there obviously like medical uh, requests are, are niche as well. Um, so the, um, they've been through the appeal process and whatnot, um, almost lost another athlete. He, uh, he went and got the first, uh, shots and vaccines. Um, sorry, <laughs> he went and got the first shot and vaccine, but he said, Hey coach, I need to just pray about, uh, getting this booster. Um, I really, you know, don't know that this is something that's going to be required of me at the Academy, um, for me to get this booster. I don't think that it's necessary. And clearly I've gotten COVID. Um, I've, I've shared it. I've gotten it. Um, I think that there's a, a huge like mistrust and a lot of the kids um, want to have an open mind. Um, they say we're here to follow the rules, but at the same time, don't change the rules while we're at it. Well, what do you think can be done about this? I mean, besides getting the word out, uh, getting the, the facts uh, and, and the implications from them, what, what do you think can be done? Well, I think so much of it is getting the word out, is standing up for you know, there's a part of me that, that says this is on purpose. Um, and I think they're trying to see who's going to stand up um, for our core values in the book that you just uh, reached up there, or if there's more about um, that diversity, inclusion, and equity um, kind of narrative. And so while I do think that those in their peers' forms are very, very important, um, we're also about uh, being ready for our next conflict. And our readiness, I think, is a significant concern, not just manpower, but also in the training bases. Um, and and, and I think part of me says, if I'm going to just talk real bluntly as Dana, if we had enough people stand up at the very beginning and said, if this is going to be required, then we're out. And could you imagine, because I think that there's more people that didn't get the shot uh, or more people that got the shot, wish they wouldn't have gotten the shot, um, especially after this all played out. I think so many people believed right up off the bat and said, all right, this is what it takes to get us back on the track. Then we're going to jump on and do it. And then they start having side effects or they start seeing uh, people, uh, you know, passing away from like SADS all of a sudden, right? Sudden adult syndrome. And there's so many people that are like, I wish I didn't do it. I, you know, I regret getting it. Um, how many people that, did we lose lives that potentially regret getting it? Um, if we had enough people that had the discernment and the wisdom that just in masses stood up and said, we're not doing this. We're here to serve our country. And that's it. 
I don't know that we'd be having these conversations. And, and at this point, we're so far down the line and that the line has been crossed and the people have chosen sides one way or another. And now they want to go after the few of us that will continue to stand for our rights. So I get I get pretty bold and pretty passionate about it. And, and it's not just standing for my rights that my husband gave his life for, but it's standing for what is right. Because if you follow right all of this narrative of where it's going down to, I, I don't know if this is the form to necessarily talk about it, but it's it's actually very, very concerning. And it's it's significantly concerning, you know, concerning for our military. I get really, really emboldened and passionate about it. And, and if I lose my job over it, so be it. But at least I'm not going to walk away regretting that I didn't stand for something. If my husband was willing to give his life, then I'm willing to stand up and lose my job. And that's the stance that I took. And like I had a friend ask me in January, Dana, are you willing to die on this hill? Absolutely. Do I love coaching my kids? Do I love inspiring cadets? Do I love training and developing officers and leaders of character? Absolutely. But I want to stand up for the right character. I want to stand up for the right morals. I want to stand up for the right integrity. And I'm not going to be bullied and pushed over by a vaccine mandate when we know for a fact, even at the time that it was pushed down, was not as effective as they're talking about. Sorry, well, I Dana, just want to stop there. That's all right. I, uh, now, you mentioned you have a theory. You teased us with that, a theory. And I want to hear it. So hold that for now. And I want to move to Rob and, and get Rob's sense on what can or should be done about this? Well, um, I have to echo something that John pointed out earlier about the politicization of, of everything going on. Um, you know, it wasn't just me. Uh, I was banned from my building at one point for refusing testing, refusing an EUA product. Uh, and I had to work outside uh, from my car you know, in the snow. And, uh, and so it's not just me that's got to stand up to this kind of stuff. I was on the phone with uh, a friend of mine. Um, I called her up. She's an 05, a foreign area officer. And, you know, she was also refusing testing, banned from her building. And she's standing out there in the heat. And uh, as, as she's standing there, uh, her, her flag officer, her first admiral in her chain of command walked by and kind of asked her, you know, what she's doing, what's going on. Um, and, and he had the gall to respond to her, you know, don't be political when she told him it's because she's there standing up for her rights and because the law allows her to decline the EUA product, standing up for the constitution and, and the rule of law. And so, um, you know, that, that's the mindset that leadership has that, Hey, all, all you Christian people. And I remember what I told my, my boss, uh, when he was so confused, why wouldn't I get the vaccine? You know, you've got a stellar career and, and you're, you're moving up and you're doing great things. Like, why won't you do this? I said, I'm willing to give, my life for the country, what kind of man would I be if I wasn't willing to give my job for my faith? And so that's the way I explained it to him. And, um, and, and that's, that, that's the environment we're in right now where leadership looks at that and thinks we're being political, but it cannot be further from the truth. We are standing up for the oath we took, which is to the constitution, to the rule of law. And you know, failing that, if we're all purged, then we have a much bigger problem on our hands. So we we have to dig in and make sure that we can secure this country back to the Constitution. Well, I want to hear uh, John's thoughts here, but before I do, you know what amazes me is is the last war we won was the Second World War, and it was against the same threat we're facing right now internally. And when you look at the American cemeteries strewn across Europe and even Asian Pacific Asian lands. They're strewn with crosses and stars of David. That's that's how they are remembered. 
by crosses and the Star of David. And today we have a political force that's trying to make uh, those of us who subscribe to Judeo-Christian traditions as extremists or outdated. And uh, that's, a, that's a battle they cannot win. John, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, there's a lot of hope. And that's maybe something that's not talked about as much as we probably should talk about. You know, I think tens of thousands of people were inspired by the Holy Spirit to take action on this and speak up about it. And God always wins. So I'm hopeful. But that's not to say that there isn't more work to be done. And that's exactly what the situation lays itself out on. And I think as the viewer, as a United States citizen, as a taxpayer, you are entitled to answers about the national security that you as a taxpayer pay for. So when you speak to your members of Congress, act like you're entitled to it because you are. You're absolutely entitled to that information. And, you know, Congress has had had requests for information like number of unvaccinated service members, people who are being discharged, uh, metrics like how many flying hours pilots have uh, who are being discharged over the mandates. And they haven't gotten those answers from the Department of Defense. And so I also encourage the members of Congress are watching this. You are entitled to those answers as well. And I think those answers need to be demanded because that's what you as a taxpayer and as a legislator are entitled to. And I think you're also entitled to answers to questions like why the Department of Defense is stating that they will provide abortions on federal land, uh, which is not which has been deemed not a right by our experts in the Constitution in the Supreme Court. Yet the constitutional rights of service members who are requesting religious accommodations are being completely ignored. Uh, what is it? Are, are we respecting constitutional rights or are we not? And what is even a constitutional right at this point, according to the Department of Defense? These are all questions that need to be asked, hard-hitting questions that need to be asked, and they need to be asked publicly, and they need to be asked often. And that's really, I think, the answer and the solution to this is that the more publicity this gets, the more information that gets out there, and the more questions that get asked, eventually it's going to be impossible to ignore. And that's really our duty, and that's what I'm trying to make happen is make this issue impossible to ignore. Uh, and outside of that, I really don't think there's much else we can do other than have conversations with people and help them understand that this really is still an issue because so many just simply don't know that the vaccine mandates are even still an issue for the military now. So uh, I would say that those are probably the biggest things you can be doing right now is, is demanding those answers that you're entitled to. Good. Great. Thanks, John. Dana, real quick, your theory. Uh, another time, I think, sir. Okay. Time. <laughs> All right. Under understand. Uh, well, this has been uh, very, very instructive. Um, and to get your lived experience, I think, is not only important, but uh, it does really give us optimism that we do have young Americans that are true leaders. They understand the essence of our Constitution and the political philosophy that underwrote it and have the courage to stand up for your principles. You know, I, I salute all of you. Uh, this is a type of leadership that's been missing from my generation. Uh, way too many have been successful. They're complacent. Uh, they go along to get along. But uh, I'm, I'm refreshed by, by your courage. And I have to tell you that you, rep, you truly represent the best and the brightest in America. And your courage truly is inspirational. So let me close our session, and I'll tell you, I, I, I could go on for hours listening to your insights and 
your uh, analysis and evaluation of what's happening. But let me close our session with one closing thought for our listeners. The left's moral justification for its framing of issues on the it takes on the force of doctrine. So it's almost biblical. In F.A. Hayek's chapter, The End of Truth, in his seminal book, The Road to Serfdom, he explained, quote, the need for such official doctrines as an instrument of directing and rallying the efforts of the people has been clearly foreseen by the various theoreticians of the totalitarian system. Plato's noble lies serve the same purpose as the racial doctrine of the Nazis or the theory of the corporative state of Mussolini. They are all necessarily based on particular views about facts, which are then elaborated into scientific theories in order to justify a preconceived opinion. Hayek wrote that in 1947, and then he updated an addition with a preface in 1954 for the American audience. Like you, he was there in the midst of it. He observed, he processed, and he shared for later generations what happens in the arc of history when we don't have leaders like the three individuals here in this panel that are willing to stand up for principle, even if they pay a price for it initially. So I'm convinced that you will be rewarded. And uh, I cheer you on. Uh, keep doing the work you're doing, and Godspeed to you. Thank you, Dr. Scott. Appreciate you and everything that STARS is doing. You bet. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Thank you Scott. So much, Dr. I appreciate Scott. it. Thank you. God bless.